Good morning, church. Uh, today I get the opportunity to read today's scripture to you. So that's going to come from Matthew 9, 14 through 22. I'll be reading from the NLT version, but whatever version you got, that's good. If you got your phones, your Bibles. All right, so one day the disciples of John the Baptist came to Jesus and asked him, why don't your disciples fast like we do and the Pharisees do? Jesus replied, do wedding guests mourn while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. But someday the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. Besides, who would patch old clothing with new cloth? For the new patch would shrink and rip away from the old cloth, leaving an even bigger tear than before. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, for the old skins would burst from the pressure, spilling the wine and ruining the skins. New wine is stored in new wineskins, so that both are preserved. As Jesus was saying this, the leader of a synagogue came and knelt before him. My daughter has just died, he said, but you can bring her back to life again if you just come and lay your hand on her. So Jesus and his disciples got up and went with him. Just then, a woman who had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding came up behind him. She touched the fringe of his robe, for she thought, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Jesus turned around, and when he saw her, he said, daughter, be encouraged, your faith has made you well. And the woman was healed at that moment. And with that, uh, Pastor Mark is gonna bring the word to us this morning. Awesome. Amen, yeah? Can you guys give Michael a round of applause? So good. It's crazy how many times you read that story, it never gets old. So good. Hey, good morning, church. So glad you guys are here. Um, my name is Pastor Mark. I pastor the youth. If you guys are new, um, we just are so glad that you guys are here in the house of God here this morning. And I want to share a quick story um, about an interesting time in my life. So our senior year is spring 2005. And I think youth, you guys already, I told you this already. Spring 2005, I'm graduating senior. My parents couldn't afford braces years before. So I got braces my senior year. Yeah, know what I mean? I know. You guys can go, ah, oh, if you want to. Ah. Oh. It was interesting. We had four, bro- had four brothers in my family, so I was just the last on the list. So I, my mom got me out before college. If I had braces in college, that would be, I would hold that grudge forever. But no, no. I had braces. I was going through this awkward time in my life where I um, was getting in trouble with the law. My grade point average was never higher than like 2.5. I was trying to figure myself out. My faith was weary. I was super impressionable, and I was finding myself in a place where, like, God, when can I get out of this season of life? Senioritis was kicking in. That's a real disease. Anybody recognize senioritis as a real disease that plagues seniors and juniors? Now it's actually getting younger and younger every year. Like, freshmen are like, I think I got senioritis. I'm like, bro, three more years. Stick them out. So here's the deal. I went to prom, the biggest culminative event in a high schooler's high school career prom. On the day of prom, I got a condition known as infected acne, which I have no idea what that even means. And I didn't know it was a thing. And it wasn't my prom. I went to HBA. So it wasn't my prom. This was Punahou's prom. And like Punahou, I'm like, oh, Punahou's prom. Like this is a real prom. You know what I mean? Like this is like where everybody is like, they kind of, everyone look. it's whole. Oh, Thank you, Kaika. Uh, Puno, everybody kind of looks like me, but they all have trust funds. That's the difference between that. So I was like, okay, this is going to be a good 
prom, uh, a friend of a friend at, wanted me to go in. My friend was, she's like, oh my gosh, you'll love this guy, Mark. He's really cute. He's really fun. So she hyped me up. And I was just like, oh my gosh, this is going to be whatever. So I'm going to show you the picture from that prom, okay? So this is me. This is the culmination. This is, this is like what I was living. This is the season of my life where I felt like I look back on it. Like even in the time I looked at myself, I'm like, Lord, is this forever? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like to have acne break out into like big splotches on your face the day of prom and to like had braces, and I just felt like, you know what, this is such an awkward season. Can my friends in puberty just attest, this is an awkward season of life. Amen? All of us have experienced this. We've gone through this, and this is what, for me, when I look back at it, was one of the most telling times of a transition of transformation in my life, even though at the time I was asking myself, God, how long? How long, oh Lord, am I stranded in high school? How long, oh Lord, Am I going to be going, having acne, and I can't grow a full beard yet, and all these things, all these troubles that young men have. And I want to just bring something up, something that God really encouraged me this week, was with all that's going on right now, stuff in the news, headlines, like, I mean, it's crazy, from racial injustice stuff to continual COVID-19 stuff picking up, then now we're getting headlines about corporate companies and human trafficking, and all of these things are just coming to light. We're like, what is going on in this world? And I think there's something really divine when we talk about seasons of our life, that as Christians, we all go through different seasons. There's seasons of loss, there's seasons of gain, there's seasons of prosperity, and there's seasons of waiting. And we have all of these seasons intermingled into our life story, and Jesus is the one who is the author and the perfecter of everything we go through, and he's shaping us into his image through every single season. Amen? But what's beautiful about right now is I see that God has actually brought all of us, and and let me say this, as a pastor, I see people in different seasons at different times. So we hear about people who are going through loss and we're working with it. We're, we're mourning with those who are mourning. At the same time, we're rejoicing with those who are rejoicing. But right now, we've all been sucked into a same season together. This season of an awkward, waiting, anticipating season. And this is what's, what's kind of divine about it. Is for, it's not all the time where you get all of humanity coming into the same season together. And so this is how we know God is up to something. God is doing something. His, he's, he's doing something in his church. He's doing something in this world. And um, weeks ago, uh, I think maybe a month ago, I did a sermon about how we, how we experience growth in these in-between times. And it's so important to do that. But today, I want to kind of piggyback off that and say, not just how do we grow. It's not about sort of like our own spiritual growth. But where is Jesus in these times? And what does Jesus look like? Because if we are missing the point and saying, God, if we're not asking, God, what are you doing right now? How can I connect with you better in this season? How are you uniquely working so that I can come alongside you in your will and see your kingdom come here on earth? If these aren't the primary questions of our heart, we're missing the point. So we want to bring that back down and just be like, Jesus, where are you? How long, oh Lord, must I wait? Where are you? Have you forsaken us? Are you still here? And what's interesting, too, is when I read the Old Testament, the Hebrews had, um, the ancient Israelites had a name for God in every different season, right? So if you're going through a season where you need provision, he is their Jehovah Jireh. He is your provider. If you need healing, then I trust Jehovah Rapha, my healer, yeah? If I'm feeling lost and abandoned and forsaken, he is 
Jehovah Shema, which is the Lord, the present God. So here's what's interesting is we don't have a, a great name for God in this season. What do we call the God of the season of awkward transition times of anticipation where we leave one season behind and we're waiting for the next one to come and we're in this ambiguous netherworld of what the heck is going on? Amen? This is where we need, a, I think, a, a good term. And something that really stuck out to me was this term. And it's in your notes. And notes are on the app if you guys want to take notes this morning. But the word is liminal. Liminal. Today we're talking about liminal Jesus. What on earth does liminal mean? Well, I, was, I heard someone this week describe the season as, as liminal. And it wasn't from a Christian perspective. And I started digging up, like, what is this word? It's not in my vocabulary. I don't know what it is, but I feel like as Christians, we need to adopt this word into our vocabulary because it very much richly expresses the spiritual condition, the spiritual season that we're all encountering right now together. It's a liminal season, a season of liminality. And so we're going to try to define it really quick. Um, the first definition, this, the first time this, this word pops up in the English um, vocabulary is in the world of anthropology. People who study human cultures, behaviors, and history, archaeology, all that kind of stuff. They study the past of humans. This is what, where it came out of anthropology. They, they said this, is that to be liminal is the quality of ambiguity or disorientation that occurs in the middle stage of a rite of passage when participants no longer hold the pre-ritual status, remain anonymous, show obedience and humility, and follow prescribed forms of conduct, but have not yet begun the transition into the status they will hold when the rite is complete. This is, I'll tell you what this actually looks like in real life. You guys saw the video of Ken in Kenya in um, what a blessing. Thank you guys so much for those who are supporting Kenya specifically. Um, you can actually, I just want to make a plug. If you are giving online, you can actually make a specific donation to the category of our Kenya mission. And every penny you send will go to Ken in, in that village. But he's, Ken was telling me one time, he's like, this is what our rite of passage looks like as men. As, as, um, when you get to 14, you turn 14, what they do is they take away all your clothes. And they send you into the wilderness, and they say, fend for yourselves. And so in, in a group of boys who all turn 14 together, go out together, and they live in the bush, and they have to learn to hunt for themselves. And usually their fathers have taught them how to hunt, so now they have to put that into practice. So they got to hunt, catch their own food. they got to make their own clothes. they got to find their own water. And after about three months, three months of living in the bush by yourself, they can then return to the tribe go through a circumcision at the age of 14. Hallelujah, well, it's not our rite of passage. And then they can now sit with the men when they eat. They can go to the councils, the elder councils where men meet and make decisions. They are now men. So that three-month period of being lost in the bush, naked and afraid, is literally sometimes a good illustration of where we're at in life sometimes, in these liminal spaces. We're not, quite, we're not boys anymore. We're not young adolescents, and we're not quite men. We're somewhere in between in anticipation of what's to come. So that's anthropology. Now look at this. People have diverted the definition to fit different categories. Here it is in sociology. Sociology says it's the transitional period or phase of a rite of passage during which the participant lacks social status rank, remains anonymous, shows obedience, humility, and follows the prescribed. Okay, very similar. Then it goes into psychology. 
Psychology took this concept of, of liminal space being caught in between times, and they made it in the mind. So the space between the subliminal, that's your unconscious, and the superliminal aspect of your conscious, that's the things that are out of your consciousness, you can't even fathom them, where the unconscious and out of consciousness meet, that's where they are. So psychology has taken this and put it in the brain, but even better, spiritual, there's, there's, is, is entered the Christian world, and we use this to describe spiritual seasons that we see in scripture, and here's more of a spiritual definition of it, according to spirituality. Liminality, or being liminal, is this, the transitional or waiting period, where we leave an old sense of purpose and belonging behind, but haven't yet found the purpose and belonging of what's to come. A temporary phase where we, our identity and our meaning are suspended. Where death to something old awaits the birth of something new. Isn't that a beautiful definition? How many of you feel like I'm in that season? <laughs> this is a great description of the Christian condition in liminal spaces. We are in anticipation for something new. Now, if you're thinking like, what does this actually look like? COVID-19 has been this for many of us. We are living in this awkward, we're waiting for schools to open, we're waiting for our jobs to come back, we're waiting for all of life to return back to normal. We've left, there's things that we've had to prune off of our old life and we're waiting for a newness to come. Um, high school graduates who just graduated, you guys know what this is like because you are not in college yet, but you're also not in high school anymore. So where are you? You're wandering around liminal space right now. You have no boundaries. There is no rules for you. You can do whatever you want until you get to college. No, I'm just kidding. But this is, you guys get the point. There is this, this space that we occupy that is hard to define, and it entails um, waiting and anticipating. And then the Bible has this, so many stories about people living in liminal space. Noah, how many days did Noah have to wait for the rain to come? Waiting and waiting on the promise of the Lord and saying, God, when is, is this true? I'm getting ridiculed. People are teasing me. I'm building this ark. I'm being obedient. But is this actually coming? So he's putting, back to, he's putting behind him the wicked ways of the world. He's, he's looking in anticipation to the things of God. But he's waiting, God, is this actually going to happen? Then another example is this. Waiting on the flood. Then the Israelites in the desert, right? Forty years of wandering. Then three days how about the three days that the disciples were waiting on Jesus after his death, huddled up together, being like, what's going to happen? Is this Christ going to come back? And Jesus shows up, and they're like, ah, ghost. Like, he's like, no, guys, you, you know who I am. And Thomas is like, can I put my finger in the hole in your hand? And he's like, shoots. So, and then he's like, oh, great, you have faith because you've seen, but even greater is those who have not seen. And Jesus then directs them, their attention forward. So that's a, those are very liminal three days. Then if you take a step back, this is where it gets even awesomer. You take a step back, you recognize the entire life of Jesus was liminal. It was transitional from an old covenant and an old way of life into a new wine that Micah just read about. That there is something new coming and Jesus brought the kingdom of God down to earth in a brand new way. So Jesus' whole life was transitional, transitioning covenants. It was bringing us into something new. And then this, I don't know if you've ever thought of this before. Did you realize that your story you have been born 2,000 years after Christ. You have been born into a waiting room. Have you realized that? As a Christian, as a Christ follower, we have all been born into a season of anticipation for the second coming of Christ. We have been born into a place where we just naturally be like, wait, I believe this. I know who Christ is. 
well, when are you coming? Lord, how long, O oh Lord, do we have to wait for your return? So all of us have this eager anticipation. And the Bible addresses it so clearly. How to wait with eager anticipation and trust in the things of God. Trust in the promises of God. And so, social science, when we look at the social science um, definitions, it confirms one very important thing. And that's this, is that liminality, if, and I was looking at all these, like, legit, I was looking at, like, these really um, academic articles on liminality and, like, s- the social sciences, and all of them say this, it is a very transformative time in your life. It is extremely transformative. People, even if you don't have faith, they find ways to reflect and to prune and to make changes for all the things that are to come when you're in that in-between space. But here's what we see. We don't just see what, me, what this means for us as Christ followers is that there's a huge opportunity for growth and impact to come. Huge opportunities. And so we see the Holy Spirit at the heart of this. The one who is transforming us is the Holy Spirit. It is God, is the gardener who prunes us. It is God who shapes us. He renews us in our mind and he sends us out to do a new work in this world. And so God is at the center of all of what's happening in the season right now. Amen. And so I want to just briefly hit on this because I, I just feel like it's not a tangent. It's connected. But it's so important. We ask this question all the time. How do I know I'm in God's will for my life? How do I know I'm listening to him? How do I know I'm actually doing what he wants me to do? And we have a hard time balancing God's schedule and our schedule. God, is my schedule lining up with your schedule for my life? And I want to bring up two really important Greek words that help delineate these two things for us. It's the word in Greek for time. Now, time in Greek has two different words. There's chronos. Everyone say chronos. Good, chronos. Chronos is a time. It is your chronological time. Days, months, hours, seconds, years. These refer to the chronological time, which you can perceive this way. It is the the environment, the framework that we are on as humans, we have to work in a chronological manner because that's how we were formed. But then there's another one. God is not bound to chronological time, so he works on what we call kairos. Everyone say kairos. Kairos is a divine time. It is a divine uh, time. It's, It's defined, it refers to God's divine or opportune timing. So when we say things like, oh, wait on God's timing, wait on God's timing, that's not just like, a Christian like thing we say, there's actual, this is what we're waiting for, is for God to move in when he is wanting to, when he, it's in his will, when he is ready, when he is ordaining that moment to happen. So here's a couple of verses where these, these words get used. Ephesians 5 says this, therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of the time, the kairos, Because the days, the chronos, are evil. What is he saying? He's saying you walk in wisdom because the coming days are getting more and more evil. And we want to what? Make the most of our divine opportunities. Think about this. Think about it this way. Men move on chronological and women move on chronological frameworks. God moves on an opportunity framework. And so we have to ask ourselves this question. How good are we at making opportunities for God to work in our life? This is how the Holy Spirit is looking to move. We have to say, like, how long, O Lord? Like, how, what time of day are you going to come and help me in my current situation? And God was going to respond and say, I work on Kairos. Are you helping me, get it, give me, giving me an opportunity to work right now? 
God is works. He jumps from opportunity to opportunity and works in a, in a kairos, a divine time kind of way. Now, look at the next one. Colossians 4.5 says the same thing. Walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the kairos, right? So we think, wait a minute. If I walk in wisdom, do I put more time back on the clock? That doesn't make sense. No, he's saying when you walk in wisdom, you are redeeming a divine opportunity for God to move. This is why biblical wisdom matters. This is why we walk in the wisdom that Jesus laid out for us. It's because every single time we walk in wisdom, we make wise decisions. We're giving opportunities for the Holy Spirit to work. Because he works in divine timing, with divine opportunities. John 2, you guys know this story. I love this verse. It says, when the wine ran out, it's the wedding at Cana. Jesus says, when the wine, or it says, when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. The guests have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with us? <laughs> Don't talk to your mother like that. Okay. <laughs> um, woman, what does this have to do my, with us? My hour, chronos, is not part of, it has not yet come, referring to Kairos. Jesus is doing something really interesting here. He's saying when he says, my hour has not yet come, he's not talking about like, oh, it's not the time of day to make new wine. He's saying, it's not my season. It's not my spiritual opportunity to do miracles yet. This was before he did any other miracle. And what did he do? He was obedient to his mother and he did the miracle anyway, which is crazy. So what, you, what did Jesus do? He brought the Kronos and the Kairos together. He said, this is the life of Jesus in a nutshell. It is God's divine opportunity walking in chronological time. That's, that's who Jesus is. And so when we see miracle after miracle after miracle, Jesus takes and he stops and he gets interrupted and he heals people because those opportunities are more of his functionality as divine. He wants to stop and make sure every sickness is taken care of. Every poor person is blessed. Everybody who walks by, every hungry person is fed because those divine opportunities are built within the divinity of who Christ was. So I want to just point this out because when we talk about how does God moving in this season, we have to ask ourselves this question. Am I allowing God to have kairos moments in my life? And this is a big question. There are things we distract ourselves with. There are ways we shut down opportunities I can tell you this, I might have shared this before. Um, I, have, I had an old youth pastor or youth leader who's really had an impact in my life. And uh, he works at the pizza place now in um, Aikahi. And I'd see him all the time. And he'd remind me like, Mark, come on. Since we've been together in church years and years ago when I was in youth group, he's since left. And he's kind of just walked away from the faith. He's just trying to figure out life. And good guy. And we talk about it. And and I would be like, oh, bro, I got to minister to him. Like, he had such a valuable impact in my life. I got to minister to this guy. So every time I would walk in there, he would give me these wide open doors and just be like, how's church? And I'd be like, it's good. And he's like, oh, are you preaching this Sunday? Yep. And it's like, he literally was handing me an invitation to bring him to church to ask how his faith is doing, and I was butchering it because I was not giving God any divine room to have, have a way in that conversation because I was stubborn. I was prideful. I did not, I was uncomfortable having that conversation. And so I would go home like every time, and I'd just like slap myself in the head. I'm like, why can't I just share my faith or invite him to church or whatever it is? I can't make a Kairos moment in this situation. And finally I did. 
And he has. He's joined us online a few times. But God is working on it. God is working it. And every time I see him now, it's, it's a natural part of our conversation. But this is all of us. Even a pastor has a hard time making Kairos movements, making room, right? This is what Jesus is inviting us to in, in, in Matthew 9 that Micah just read. He says, how are you trying to put what is old in a new wineskin? You have to make room. You have to make opportunities. You have to make open space for God to come and move if you want to see change, if you want to see something happen. And for many of us, I can say this because I've been talking with so many of you during this pandemic season, the longing for impact and meaning and purpose is at an all-time high for many of us. We're like, God, I can't live in this season and just sit back. How can I be a part of what you're doing here on earth? And this is one of the most beautiful, profound ways that we can do that is giving God Kairos space. So if you're taking notes, the first one is this. The Holy Spirit works on Kairos timing. You have to know that. So if you're waiting, being like, how long, oh Lord? Does the Lord have me stuck here? Uh, I feel distant from God. I'm crying out to God. Uh, But I go out every single day and I'm not giving him any opportunity to work in my life. I want to just point out that that's probably the problem. God doesn't have you like on an hourglass where he's like, okay, when this hourglass is done, then I can move in your life. It's not a chronological issue. It is a kairos issue. This is how the Holy Spirit works. So that is number one. Number two is I want to point this out. That for many of us here in this season, this liminal season of God, there is something to come. I want to know. I want to be a part of that. And I want to lay down oldness, the things that I need to die to. I need pruning in my life. This happens for all of us individually. This happens as a church. We've had these discussions. We're like, hey, how are are we needing to be pruned for what God is bringing as a a way of newness in this next season of our church's life? This happens at big levels, small levels. But here's what I want to point out is that Jesus is uniquely active in liminal moments. Very uniquely active. There's something about the space where we're free of distraction, where we're not tied to boundaries. I'm no longer a man, nor I'm no longer a child, nor am I a man. I'm no longer here nor there. I'm in this in-between stage where we almost like it's almost like we get God's full attention. And God says, like, look at me. I got something for you, but you have to trust me. And we see this over and over in scripture. What are the what is the unique, active, liminal movements that God has in our life? You guys know the story of exile. Israel over and over finds themselves in exile. And what does Jesus, what does God say? God tells them through Jeremiah. He says, hey, look, you're going to be here for 70 more years. Here's what I need you to do. Make home. Have children. Work hard. Honor your government. And they're like, how long, oh Lord, under the oppression of Babylon? And he's like, no, no, no. You're going to be here a while. Let me tell you how to make it through. So how does God uniquely activate us in liminal times when we're trying to anticipate a better day coming? He says, walk with me. Be in my presence. Because he says this, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, to give you hope for a future. These are great things. So God is constantly walking with us in liminal times so that he can point us towards the future that is to come for us. The same thing happened in the desert. 40 years, Lord, where are you? God's promises are what kept him there. Romans, we know this promise, that he takes what we sang earlier, he takes what the enemy uses for evil and he turns it for good. Guys, it's like we're playing a video game with cheat codes on. 
Have you noticed that before? Like, you can't make a mistake when you're in Christ because he's going to take that and he's going to use it for the benefit of those who love him. He's going to use his kingdom purposes are going to manifest in your, even in your mistakes. That's crazy. That's like, for young people, you know what I mean. Like, when you put cheat codes on, you can't lose the game. This is, where, this is what victory looks like in the kingdom of God is there's no losing at this point because we have already victory in Christ. Amen? So here's what we need to recognize is that the promises, as I was looking back at the promises of God in Scripture, often come in liminal times. This is so important. Are you able to hear right now the promises that God is trying to speak into your life? Or are you occupying your mind and your heart with other things so you can't actually hear the voice of your shepherd? It's an important question because I promise you, if God's pulling all of us into this liminal space together, he wants all of us to move as one church together. He wants to, to talk to his sheep. He wants to give us commands. Like a shepherd, you know, steers the flock left and right. He's looking to do that. But we have to make sure that we're not getting caught up in the ways of the world. We're not getting swept away in headlines. We're not finding truth in anything other than the word of God and the spirit that lives within us. We have to be grounded at, with Jesus at the core of who we are in this space, in this liminal space, if we're going to make it forward. Amen? Have to. But then the follow-through is also, it's not just that he promises, it's that he follows through. This is what I love so much about Jesus. He actively pursues the downtrodden. He is present when we need him most. Whenever somebody would cry out in Scripture to God, he would respond because he knows the cry of our hearts. He knows the liminal places we are. He recognizes that even our life, your life here on earth is always liminal because there's something greater for you coming. And so when Paul says, die to yourself, die to the flesh, die to your selfish ambitions, your own ways of thinking here on earth, Christ has better things for you. In the words of Paul, he's saying, live in this liminal space, focused on what is to come. Get your heart ready for the new wine. Prepare whatever you need to prepare for Christ to come and do something new in your life. This is the invitation. So if you're asking, like, well, Pastor Mark, how do we prepare for what's to come? Great question. That's coming. <laughs> but I want to just encourage you this, that God is very active in this. He is active. And you hear this all the time, like, oh, if you feel distant from God, he's with you at all times, and he never forsakes you, and that's so true. But I want to say this, too, is that there is a step that you have to take to pursue Christ in these times as well. You have to. It has always been that the nature of our faith has always been, that, I mean, literally, there's, there's the verse that says, Ask, seek, knock. We're knocking on the door of Christ, and he opens up. We pursue him, and he opens up and answers what we need. Then in Revelation, it's the opposite. Christ says, I stand at the door and knock. Will you open it for me? So sometimes God is knocking on our door. Sometimes we have to knock on his door. This is the, the relationship we have with our Savior. But don't expect God to move if you are not. Can I say that bluntly? And I'm, I'm preaching to myself. Don't expect God to move if you are not moving. What does that mean? Are you dying to things you need to die to? Are there sins in your heart that you're still not confessing? Are there things, bitternesses and, and, and emotions that have been unprocessed and unfiltered through the Holy Spirit? And these, these things that are ruining you from the inside. Are there external things that you're buying into and that's leading you away from the presence of God? Are there ideologies and political things that are coming in and sweeping you away and being like, Let's, let me tell you what truth is. And you find yourself in a place where like, where is Christ? 
You've walked away and you don't even know where he is anymore. These are real things. Make sure that you are pursuing God. This is a season of leaning into him. Lean in to Christ. He is active in pursuing you. But this is, I mean, our salvation comes by what? By grace through faith. Grace is God reaching out and saying, I've given you grace. Faith is us reaching out and saying, I believe. I'm ready to receive your hand. It is that we have to reach out in God because God has already been reaching our entire lives. Can we meet him in the middle and say, God, thank you for pursuing me. Amen. This is where we need to be. This season is making sure we are not paralyzed by the dilemma we are in. But we are waiting. Here's the thing. We know we hear scriptures. He who waits, Isaiah says, he who waits upon the Lord shall be renewed in strength. They'll mount up with wings like eagles and they'll fly right over the storm. What a beautiful picture. There's a difference between waiting and being paralyzed, right? <laughs> what I call like spiritual paralysis. Spiritual paralysis is that, God, I don't know what to do, so I'm going to sit here and wait for you to do something. That's spiritual paralysis because it's, it is a fear-led motivation. What waiting on the Lord is, is being in anticipation and listening for cues, listening for his voice and saying, God, I'm ready. What would you have me do in this season? Who would may I love better in this season? How may I forgive better in this season? How can I turn the other cheek better right now? And when there's an open opportunity in your heart, you're inviting the Holy Spirit to come in and be like, thank you for that open door. I'm coming in and making a Kairos movement moment in your life right now. This is what we're waiting for. So don't get caught up in the paralysis of like, I don't know what to do. God, come and do something. Get into the position of I'm eager, I'm anticipating, I'm waiting. God, give me a sign. Give me your voice. I am ready. Make me an empty vessel. Fill me up and do what you would have with my life. That is a Christian response in a liminal space. Amen. And so here, the liminal dilemma is this, to choose love or fear. That's what it comes down to every time. What are you doing in this time of your life? Is it functioning more so out of a place of love or is it functioning more out of a place of fear, right? And this is like not to criticize anyone in decisions. Like we have some people who want to stay at home, some people who want to go to church, some people who want to wear masks, some people who want to burn their masks. And we get all these kinds of different opinions and that's okay. But if the place of, move, of your movements in this season and your pursuing of God is a, something that's out of fear, Check your heart and make sure that you're doing it out of self-sacrifice, love, not self-indulgence and fear. Because that is what Christ is looking for, is a heart of self-sacrifice, an open vessel that he can come and move in. So what is our job? That's the big question. What is our kuleana? If God knocks on the door sometimes and he's looking for these opportunities in our life to come and do something miraculous, what do I got to do? The first, it's so simple, you guys. It's not even like, it's so simple. Number one is this. Our kuleana is active too, right? Like we have to stand in that, in that gap. Number one is to seek his presence. That's it. God, I want to be with you. Like David said, like one day in the courts of God, in the presence of God is better than a thousand elsewhere. I just want to be with you, God. We see all these scriptures that say, endure the trials, endure, endure. And that also means to stand with, or sorry, to withstand. And if we withstand, that means that we stand with God. That's what helps us endure is when we're actually withstanding by standing with our Savior, if that makes sense. We're standing beside shoulder to shoulder. That's what helps us get through. So let's read this. Matthew 28, you guys know this. 
I love this verse because we miss it all the time. The most important part. As the women were on their way, some of the guards, this is right after Jesus, died and resurrected. Some of the guards went into the city and told the leading priest what had happened. And <laughs> no more after that. So I'm going to summarize it for you. So what happened was, then Jesus appeared to the disciples. And he says, do not be afraid. For I have all authority in heaven and earth. Now go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And then he says this. Lo, I am with you till the very end of the age. He is introducing the biggest liminal space in our life as Christ followers. I am going to leave you, and I'm coming back. In this in-between time, I'm going to be with you. That is the promise. His promise is his, in his presence. He is going to be there. And so while you're making disciples, you can't do it without his presence. He's going to be with you. While you're baptizing and teaching, you can't do it without the presence of God. Because he's already there. This is what he has promised us. Lo, I'm by with you. So real quick, James says the same thing. James says this, come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. He says, clean your hearts and get back in the presence of God. That is where we find cleanliness. Amen, James. Hebrews 10 says this, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Christ, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, and with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Amen. There is cleansing. There is purification. There is freedom. There is hope when you're in the presence of God. This is the promise. And it goes on. I mean, there's scriptures galore on this topic. Psalm 27, last one, says this. My heart says to you. So David here is saying, it's not my head that's speaking to you. My heart is speaking to you, God. Seek his face. Your face, Lord, is what I will seek. I want to see your face. I want to be in your presence. I want to share breath with you. This is the desire of a Christ follower. And so sometimes, let me just clarify this real quick, because sometimes we skew this and we say, oh, what God wants me to do is be an agent of change in this way and, and by voting this political party and creating a space for these ideas to be propagated, the best way for you to be, a, to, for you to be an agent of change for God's kingdom is to be in his presence. Nothing more. Practice his presence. In this liminal time, most of us have a lot of chronological time. We have a lot of space in our days to make room for God. Make sure you are spending time with God. Lean into the word. Lean in. There are, pot I mean, there's the resources to connect with God are innumerable in terms of podcasts and sermons and just all these kinds of things that you can do to feed your heart, feed your soul with the things of God. And even better, do it in community. Find relationships. Ask questions. Some of my most edifying times is when I sit with brothers and we just hash stuff out and we talk about Jesus and we just talk about how real he was to us this week. And what he's doing. And I leave that place being like, oh, I entered the presence of God with brothers in Christ or with sisters in Christ. And there's something that powerful that happens in that community setting. So I just want to encourage you, seek his presence. This is an active thing. You can't just sit and wait and expect God to like play peekaboo with you, right? Like this is what my, my literally, this is what my 
four, what, how old is he? He's my one-year-old. He's one. This is what my one-year-old does. When we play like hide-and-seek, he just goes like this. And I'll be like, Micah, and I'll like get under. I'm like, Micah, I'm over here. This is like the visual I'm getting right now because some of us are doing that. They're like, Lord, I want to be in your presence. It's like, really? How much do you want to be in my presence? It looks like you're hiding from me. You know what I mean? So make sure that you are actively seeking. You're ripping your heart wide open and being like, Jesus, have your way. That is a bold thing to pray. And I promise you, if you do that in a sincere way, God is going to load your life with Kairos opportunities. You're going to have conversations you never had before. You're going to have walk into spaces and you're going to walk into situations where you're like, God, why do you have me here? And you're going to start seeing like God's fingerprint on all of it and being like, I put you here because you're ready, because you're willing. So make sure that our heart is so away from distractions that they were never stopping to, to tell people the goodness of our Savior how good our God is, and telling our story, and preaching the gospel, and teaching, and discipling, and baptizing, and all these beautiful Christian words that we have. But all it is is ushering the presence of God. That's, what, that's at the heart of it. The next one in your, your notes is this. What else can I do besides seek his presence? Stand firm. Kupa'a. Stand firm. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Matthew 24. What? Jesus left earth and he said, hey, before you leave, I'm coming back. If you want to know who's going to be saved, it's the one who endures. And if you dig into that word endure, what is it? It's, the Greek word is hypomeno. Hypomeno means this, to stand firm. Who's going to stand firm against the enemy? Who's going to stand firm against the lies? Like literally this verse is used in James to say, uh, hypomeno, James uses this word to say stand firm against sin. Uh, Ephesians, Paul says, stand firm against the principalities of this world, right? And in, um, I think it's in, oh, I forgot. I think it's in Matthew. Matthew? Wait for it. Nope. First Peter. First Peter, he says this, stand firm. Same word as you, stand firm against the devil who seeks to prowl, who is prowling, looking for you to devour. Now, how many of you guys know that standing firm is an active thing? It's a military word. When they say, hold your ground, you're not holding your ground doesn't mean like this, right? It's like, okay, as long as I stay put, I'm doing it. Holding your ground means I'm active, I'm attentive, and I'm ready. Nothing is taking this ground from me. It is an active place of holding your spot, remaining. This word, that hypomeno, the root of it is the same word in John 15 that he, where he says, abide in me, remain in me, meno in me. And what Jesus is inviting us to is like make residence in me. He says, when you abide in me and I in you, he's saying, I'm going to remain. I'm going to stay in you. You stay in me. Hold your ground in me. This is the invitation. And so when we hold our ground, this is what, I mean, it's so beautiful. When we hold our ground, nothing of the world, nothing of the devil, nothing of the wicked ways around us have any chance of penetrating Because Christ is the one who stands with us. We abide in him and he abides with us. We stand firm together. So listen, Menno is all about abiding and remaining. Jesus is coming in and trying to make a throne in your heart. This is what he's trying to do. So if if you have not yet allowed Jesus to make a throne in your heart, to have his way in your life, may I invite you this morning to do that? It is the most important decision. We're sometimes like, well, I believe in God. There's a difference between believing here and saying, Jesus, come in. Make your throne in here. Abide in me because I want to abide in you. And when we do that, we're giving God huge room to work in this season. And so the last one is this. Are you guys tracking with me? Amen. Okay, good. 
So the last one is this. We seek his presence. We stand firm in this liminal space, this transitional space. Last one is this, is we make room. We make room. Matthew 9 says this. No one puts new wine into old wineskins, as Micah read. For the old skins would burst from the pressure, spilling the wine and ruining the skins. New wine is stored in new wineskins. So what? This is really important. So that both are preserved. Listen to me. If you are not dying to the old ways, if you are in this space right now where Jesus is moving in your life and he's trying to get you into a new sense of newness in your own character, in your school, whatever it may be, if Jesus, you have not let yet let go the things of old, you're holding on to an old says, I'm trying to make something new here. And why is he? What, what's the danger of it? If the danger is if I'm holding on to it, my old wineskin's going to explode. It's going to rip. It's going to tear. We lose the wine and the wineskin. It's important for the preservation of your faith to build a new wineskin, to build room in your heart that's flexible for the newness that God's going to bring. That's what a wineskin represents. A new wineskin is one that has elasticity, so new wine can expand without breaking it. How flexible is your heart? How much can you expand this season? What's your breaking point? What's your threshold? Right? This is what liminality is all about, is that when, when pressure reaches a certain threshold, what's the next step? What's the response going to be? I want to ask you to make room for God, and this starts with surrender. You have to surrender the old ways. Man, what, uh, let me explain like, how we've been processing this in my house, is Meg and I have been sat down and we're like, why do we do some of the things that we do? For real, like, how do we, why do we raise our kids in this way? Like, why do we do this? Why do we talk like this? And we have to reevaluate. And we're like, wait, if we're going to make Jesus more intentional in our home, if we're going to make more Kairos moments for us and our kids, we got to make room for that. We need some kind of newness. And so the, the, the old ways, the traditional ways, the ways we grew up with, whatever it may be, have to go. And one thing that we're trying to do, like implement more, and this is just us, this isn't like everybody, but it's been actually really cool, is we stopped praying before meals and we started praying after meals. And here's why. When you pray before meals, it actually came out of like the Middle Ages when they were scared that the food was not nourishing enough. So it was a fear prayer. Lord, please bless this food to our bodies because we don't know what it's going to do to us. And so we still carry that tradition today. And it's not a bad thing. You can pray for your food just as a tradition. But we're like, no, what's more biblical is you eat the food that God has given you. You say, thank you, God, for that meal. And we're starting to bless God's name after the meal. And we read a Bible story. And we talk about Jesus. And we're trying to implement all these ways. New Kairos opportunities. And I can tell you what, having young kids, watching them respond to God, ask beautiful questions about Jesus, have profound insights about the character of God, is it's like, this is why we do this. Because God is having his way. My kids are entering into the presence of God. So this might not be in your family. It could be in your school. It could be in your work. Some of us are in between things and jobs right now, and you have to reevaluate. Is this what God wants for me, is to go back to normal? We, we say this all the time. We need to get back to normal. What if God is tired of normal and he wants to bring you into newness? We have to be open to that. That's what a new wineskin is going to look like. Amen? So let's wait for God on that newness. Let's pursue him. Let's lean into him. And I love this. This is the greatest example is Mary Magdalene in the liminal three days, the weird, awkward transitional space where the disciples have lost their meaning and belonging because the, the rabbi they followed was just killed. They're waiting for what's going to happen. Mary Magdalene says, you know what? 
I'm going to go bless that tomb. I'm going to go out to that tomb. And when she went out to that tomb, Jesus was there and he met her. So some of us, if you're like me this, this morning and you're like, God, where are you? I want to be in your presence, but I can't hear from you. And I have a hard time feeling like I'm in the presence of God. We, we all have been through these kinds of seasons. Let me express that if you are active and you pursue God, he will not turn away. He will not look away. He will not run away. He will not play peekaboo. He will not hide. That God is waiting for you in anticipation in this liminal space to get out of your comfort zone and say, I'm still going to pursue the things of God. In fact, I'm going to do it more intentionally, harder, with more passion than I did before. And when we do that, God is ready and says, like, finally, I can have some Kairos moments in your life. Can we pray for that? Let's pray for that, because I really want to make sure that we are all as a church having hearts that are ready for God to make a movement. So worship team is going to come up. Um, just over our church here this morning. That the new normal wouldn't be an expectation. Or sorry, the new normal would be an expectation. The old normal would be something that we're able to critique and evaluate, reevaluate and say, your spirit, this has to do with stuff in your life, relationships you have. What is God leading you into? I pray that as you pursue his presence, he's going to give you clarity on what's to come. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Jesus, we thank you for liminal space. We thank you, God, that you are not bound to just what you did before and what you're going to do later, but you sit in this moment with us. You sit in the awkward transition moments when we have acne, when we have awkward dates at prom. God, we thank you that you sit in us with when we're without a job. We thank that you sit in these moments with us when we don't know what's to come. We thank you, God, that we get to anticipate a God who is full of promises and who is faithful to those promises. We thank you, Jesus, that we get to live in victory, meaning that the Holy Spirit is already planning to have his way when we abide in him. And so, God, we pray this over every single person here this morning. God, I pray that this would be a season where we see more miracles. I pray this morning, God, where the, the darkness that we see in news headlines would be overshadowed with the light that is coming out of your bride. Jesus, I pray that this would be a new season that we would enter into, where we would throw down the ways of old, that we would get out of our hiding, that we would stop crying out, how long, O oh Lord, and start saying, God, I am ready. So Jesus, I pray for a church that is fully equipped and ready to be new wine. We pray, Lord, that we would endure the hard things, that we would stand firm through the trials because we know what is to come in Christ. We thank you, God, that there's a wedding day on its way, that we're going to be reunited with you once and for all, and we stand firm in that. So, Jesus, as we pursue truth, as we pursue justice, as we pursue the things on earth right now, the, the, the heavenly things, and bring them here on earth, we pray, Jesus, that you would spark a new passion in us for the things of you, for the ways that, God, the name of Jesus would be so evident that there would be no baggage with that name, that there would be no cringing when people heard the name of Jesus, but it would be a name that was filled with joy and hope and rejoicing. And so, Jesus, we just offer this heart response this morning, God. We offer it to you as we worship again and say, God, it is you have this victory. We worship you. We honor you. We love you. We pray all of these things as one church here this morning. And all God's people said, amen. Can you stand with me?